Good morning. It is good to be back uh, with you all. Uh, last week, I had the chance to just sit and sit under the teaching of the word and worship with you all as Rob Loy uh, brought the word. And we talked about taking up our cross, denying ourselves and following after Jesus. And uh, I want to thank Rob for bringing that sermon. Um, but it also was a great opportunity to lead into this series. As we are kicking off this series today on the armor of God, um, I thought that it was really appropriate to talk about denying ourselves and taking up our cross, counting the cost of what it means to follow Jesus before we even get to the armor of God. And we're going to kick off today with really uh, just kind of giving an introduction and some foundational truths that we need to know if we're going to put on the armor of God. But throughout the rest of the series, we're going to take each piece of the armor and do kind of a deep dive into each piece of the armor of God and what it means to, to have that armor to stand against uh, the schemes of the devil. And so that's really what this series is all, all about. Because I don't, I don't think that many of us would disagree with the fact that when it comes to Christianity and believers in Christ living in this world, that we are at war. We, we are at war. And I thought about maybe even starting off this whole series and sermon today by giving some statistics on showing the decline of Christianity and people who are really engaged with their faith or even showing some statistics that exist showing the decline in people's understanding of the Bible and theology, which I think is one of the factors in the decline in Christianity, one of the biggest factors. But I don't know that I really need to dive into all of that because I think we all feel it to some degree. We see it. And we're seeing people that we know and love, many of us, maybe not all of us, many of us are seeing people we know and love who are beginning to fall away from the faith. As culture grows more hostile to Christianity, specifically here in America, as, as some forms of persecution feel like they are on the rise, although we're, we're not experiencing the half of what our brothers and sisters across the world are, but we feel it and we sense it, that we are ultimately at war. And I think that the question that most of us are asking is how do I fight and stand strong? How do we raise our children to stand strong and contend for the faith? How am I supposed to love a world that only seems to be growing in hatred for me? How am I supposed to shine the light of the gospel in such a dark world? And a few months ago, as I was praying about where we should go uh, this time of year in God's word, I really felt a very similar burden that Jude expresses in his letter. In the book of Jude, which, by the way, is just one chapter long, so we, just, we don't say Jude chapter 1, verse 3. We just say Jude 3. And so in the third verse, he says, Beloved, although I was eager to write to you about our common salvation— I find it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. That Jude is saying something very similar to what I'm feeling in my own heart as a follower of Christ, but also as a pastor, that it, I really want to come in here and let's talk about the, the joy of our salvation, and we will do that. And I really want to come in here and encourage your hearts in Christ and to bring the word faithfully, and we will do that. But I also feel this burden to beg you, to plead with you, to contend for the faith, because I believe that we are at war, and I'm burdened to beg you and to appeal to you in that way. And some days, when I uh, when I get home from work, for example, I uh, I'll show up, and what I really want to do is I just want to sit on the couch and enjoy being with my family. But there are days, and I think most of us can relate in some way, that I walk in the house and immediately I can cut the tension with a knife, and I know something just went down before I got in here, right? Because there are, there are times that there's conflict, and I, what I can't do in that moment is come home, sit on the couch, and ignore it, and pretend like everything's okay. 
I need to address what's going on. And that's, that's how I feel with what is happening in the culture, in Christianity, in our churches. I can't just sit down and pretend like everything's okay because I'm watching people fall away. I'm watching people surrender ground to the forces of evil, as we'll talk about today. And I understand that you and I are either contending for the faith or we are surrendering ground to the enemy. And today we'll identify who is our enemy. We'll see that. But keep that in mind. I believe, I don't think there's middle ground here. You and I are either contending for the faith, we are either going to battle with God's armor, or we are surrendering ground. And I don't want to surrender ground. As I mentioned last week, Rob talked about the importance of taking up our cross, and he read from Matthew chapter 16, when Jesus said, you must deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. But Jesus also said, even earlier in Matthew, very, something very similar, he said, whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. See, Jesus and the rest of the Bible never make the assumption that following after him is going to cost you nothing. Jesus and the scriptures never make the assumption that we can just surrender our lives to Jesus and live comfortable lives here on earth for the rest of our time. But they assume that there's going to be a battle. The idea that the Christian life is easy, requires no sacrifice, and can be lived without cost is completely foreign to scripture. As a matter of fact, Jesus promised us that we would experience persecution, that we would experience opposition. He promised us that, that tough times would come. And he also said, in the midst of that, but yet we can take heart because he has overcome the world. But how do we stand? How do we stand in that truth? How do we boldly declare the gospel while still seeking to love those around us as we sang just a few moments ago? wanting to build our lives in the foundation of Jesus Christ and then outwardly expressing love even for those that would hate us. How do we do that? How do we take up the armor of God? In the book of Ephesians, which is where we'll be this series, Ephesians chapter six, by the way, Paul has, for the first five chapters, really laid out the gospel and then what are the implications of the gospel. In other words, how do you take the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, and then live that in your life, in your family, in your marriage, as you're raising your kids, when you go to work, how do you live in that way? But he doesn't stop there because he reminds us very quickly in verse 10 of chapter 6 that we are at war. And so he says this in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. What we need to understand as a foundation for this series, before we get to talking about what it means to put on the armor of God, what it means to stand, what it means to be bold in our faith, all of those things we'll get to, before we get there, we have to understand our first point this morning, that our strength to do any of that is in Jesus. That's where our strength is. What Paul does not say at this point in his letter is, I've told you everything you need to go do, so now go out and do it. Go out and live it. Go out and make sure that you are the best Christian that you can possibly be. No, he says, you have to remember that your strength is going to be in the Lord. I don't know if you've ever uh, been lifting weights or doing any kind of workout uh, where you've got, you're trying to do as many reps as you can, right? So you're trying to push the weight, push the weight, and you've got somebody maybe that you're working out with, and you get to your last rep, and the person working out with you says, come on, you can, you can push this last rep, you can do it. And there have been many times in my life, I don't know about you, when as much as they're telling me I can push that last rep, it's not going up. And I need some assistance, right? 
As much as you're telling me I can do this, you can yell that in my face all day. I can't do this. I don't have this. That's our spiritual life. Our spiritual life is no matter how many people want to tell us that we have what it takes within ourselves to stand up, to rise up, to be all that we can be, in and of ourselves, we do not. You go, Kenny, that is not a very encouraging message. If we're talking about standing up and we're at war, I mean, that's not a great way to start, it seems. But I think it's the place we must start. Because there's a lot of people out there that are preaching messages like God won't give you more than you can handle, which is not in the Bible, by the way. It's just not true. We have situations in our lives. Our, the Christian life is more than we can handle on our own. It just is. We cannot. We don't have the strength. We don't have the resolve. We don't have the ability to do it. And so, yes, will God give us more than we can handle? Absolutely he will. But the promise in the midst of that is we're not supposed to do it in our own strength anyways. We're not supposed to handle it on our own anyways. He is our strength. That's why Paul says, I'll read it again, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Not your might, not your strength, but in the Lord in his might. And as I said, this is the foundation for this series. This is the foundation for the Christian life in general. You can't, but he can. You can, you can put whatever you want there. You can't, but he can, and he will. If you feel weak, unable to stand, maybe you are completely discouraged at the cultural wars that we find ourselves in. Maybe you are discouraged at the fact that you feel like persecution is on the rise and you're starting to wonder, I don't think I can do this. I feel weak. I feel unable to face the challenge. If that's where you're at, then rejoice. And if that seems like a strange thing to do, that's exactly what Paul did in our very well-known verse, 2 Corinthians 12. He said, but he, Jesus, said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I'll boast, I'll rejoice, I will exalt all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So if you feel weak and unable to stand, rejoice so that the power of Christ can rest upon you. So that you can recognize that it is his grace that is sufficient for you. Your strength is not sufficient. Your resolve is not sufficient. You and I cannot do this, but he can. Because you see, a gospel which saves us, a gospel that says Jesus will save you, but then you need to do the rest of the work, is really not good news at all. A gospel that says Jesus will forgive you, but you need to maintain it, you need to keep up the work, you need to do it, that's, no, that's not good news at all. But the gospel that saves us also sanctifies us. Sanctification is really, it's just a big word for that process of making us more like Christ. The same gospel that saves you is the same gospel that day by day sustains you and carries you through and gives you the strength that you need in your weakness. Paul says in verse 12, we'll read that verse in a minute, but in verse 12 he indicates the fact that we are struggling. We are wrestling in this world, in this life. We have a battle that we are fighting and we cannot do it on our own strength, but through the strength of Christ. Now an important question here is, okay, that sounds great. Does that mean that I have no responsibility then? Does that mean I just kind of get to sit back, enjoy the ride, and Jesus is going to just do all of the work, and I don't need to take any initiative whatsoever? I don't think that's the message here. Because in the very next verse, we just read verse 10, be strong in the Lord. But the very next verse, Paul says, verse 11, put on the armor of God. That's directed at you, directed at me. You put on the armor of God, that you may be able to stand. 
We are called to put on the armor. We are called to stand. Yet, not with our strength alone, but through the strength of Christ. The Christian life is not let go and let God, which is also not in the Bible, by the way. That's not, that's not the Christian life. Let go and let God. God, you take it. I'm good. I'll just sit back and watch as you do just a miracle through my life. That's not the message. The message is what Jesus said in John 15. He said, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And so that leads us to conclude that when we do abide in him, we can stand. We can put on the armor. We can live this Christian life. We can bear fruit, not because of us, but because we are abiding in him. We're drawing our strength from him. He's our strength. So that, that's a, an important place to start, but there's another important question to answer. Because I started off reminding us that we are at war, but we need to ask ourselves the question, what is the war? What is the battle? And so Paul goes on, verses 11 and 12, and he says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in, in the heavenly places. What is our battle? If we are at war, who are we fighting against? Where is our battle waged? And what we see very clearly here, I think, is our second point, that our battle is spiritual. Let me be very clear at the outset of this point that our battle is not ultimately in Washington. Our battle is not ultimately with our neighbor that disagrees with us. Our battle is not ultimately in this culture that we are trying to be salt and light in. That's not where our battle ultimately is. Yes, as we stand for the truth of the gospel, we will oppose the things that are going on in a godless world. But our enemy, our battle ultimately is fought against the devil and his forces. These institutions, false religions, and systems all around us can be full of evil people doing evil things, but behind all of it is the devil, Satan, and his demons and his work. It doesn't mean we don't fight against godless ideologies, false religions, and wicked people. It means that we keep in perspective that our enemy is not flesh and blood. Our enemy is Satan and his schemes. Paul goes on with a list here in verse 12. We have rulers and authorities and the spiritual forces of darkness. And I think we can maybe get too caught up in trying to figure out what each of those things on the list maybe represents. But I think Paul's point here is he's saying we have to understand that our battle is spiritual. Our battle is not flesh and blood. I believe Paul's main point is that our fight is against Satan and his spiritually dark forces, his demons, his forces of evil. And I think his secondary point here is that we cannot underestimate his power, that our enemy is great. And that might sound like a weird thing for me to say, but Satan is powerful. The forces of darkness are real. They are powerful. And sometimes I think we're afraid to say that because we're, we're afraid, maybe we're afraid of just over-spiritualizing things. Maybe we're afraid that if we talk too much about this, then we're going to get too caught up in the spiritual realm. And maybe there is somewhat of a danger there. But we must acknowledge the reality of the spiritual realm. We must acknowledge that our battle ultimately is against the spiritual forces of darkness. We must acknowledge that our enemy is great. Paul says, 
We are fighting against the cosmic powers over this present darkness. See, we see the present darkness. We see the evil around us. We see the work of Satan all around us. And what we must remember is that behind all of the darkness that we see, all of the evil and the wickedness, Satan is at work. Behind all the evil we see in our world, Satan and his demons are at work trying to thwart God's work in this world. This does not take away the individual's responsibility, the individual's sin. I'm not trying to say that every sin that's ever committed, well, the devil made you do it. No, we are the ones that sin. We are the ones that do those things. Evil people do commit evil acts. But behind all of it, behind the evil of our world, ultimately is Satan and his demons. Why does this matter? Why does it matter to understand this? Why does it matter to make the distinction to say that our our battle is not ultimately flesh and blood? I think it matters because if you don't know your enemy, you won't bring the the correct weapons to the fight. We know this even in sports, right? If you're going to face a team in a sport, you need to at least partially know who you're facing and what their strengths and weaknesses are. That's part of the battle. That's part of what it means to win the game is to know your enemy. You probably heard, heard the old adage, you don't bring a knife to a gunfight, right? You, you have to know who your enemy is to know what weapons you need to bring to the battle. We also know, we, we know that our enemy is great, and we know that the weapons that we need to bring into the battle do not come from us. I love what Martin Lloyd-Jones said about this. As we fight against Satan and his forces, he says, the moment that you start engaging the enemy in argument with your own reason and understanding, you are already defeated. This goes back to point one briefly, right? The moment you try to engage Satan with your strength, your reasoning, your will, you're already defeated. He will beat you every time. We are dealing with a foe that is inferior in power only to the blessed Holy Trinity. Again, I've said already, we cannot underestimate Satan and his schemes and his deceptiveness. He is strong. He is capable. Now, the good news for us is, yes, absolutely, he is, he is not even to be compared with the strength and might of the Lord. It's not as if God and Satan are in this battle and we're waiting to see who's going to win. We already know that Satan is defeated. We already know that he is, he is going to lose in the end. Even Satan himself knows that. But he is strong, and he is still at work in our world. He's still, Peter says, uh, roaming around like a roaring lion. He says in 1 Peter 5, 8, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Knowing your enemy is important. Knowing your enemy is important because it also helps you to fight the right battles. And I think that there are a lot of Christians out there that are fighting, except they're fighting the wrong battles. I see a lot of believers in Christ who are trying to be bold and stand up for their faith. The problem is they're fighting the wrong battles. They have made people the enemy who are not the enemy. They're fighting the wrong battles. We must know our enemy, but we must also fight the correct battles. I'll say it this way. We're called to win souls, not arguments. We are called to gospel proclamation, not political power. We're called to bring salt and light into the culture not to seek cultural approval. We are called to be salt and light. We are called to proclaim the gospel into this culture, to be bold and stand up for our faith. But we're not called to win the battles of this world. Our battle is not 
ultimately with this world. Our battle is with Satan and his schemes. The list could go on, but I, I think that we see the point there. And I think that there are, today, in America especially, I think that there are many Christians who are far more concerned about losing freedoms and losing ground in the cultural battle than they are concerned about souls that are dying and going to hell. I think that there are a lot of Christians out there that are more concerned about whether or not our lives are going to be comfortable, if it's going to be easy to be a Christian in this world and in this culture, than they are concerned about proclaiming the gospel and seeing lost souls come to Christ. And again, I said earlier, I want to make sure the caveat is clear. I'm not saying we don't fight battles in the culture. We do. We oppose evil. We oppose godless ideologies. But our ultimate enemy is not flesh and blood. Our ultimate weapon is the gospel. Not logic and reasoning. Not the schemes of this world. Not the philosophies of this age. Our weapon is the proclamation of the gospel. That the dead come to life in Christ. That the lost are found. That the blind will see again. That the gospel has overcome. And I'm well aware, by the way, that politics and culture are really becoming blurred with morality these days. I understand that there are a lot of, there's a lot of arguments to do with morality when it comes to politics and the culture and the things that are going on in our world. And I'm well aware that our culture is moving in a direction that just continues to blur the lines and promote evil and call good what God calls evil and call evil what he calls good. But if we think that the battle will be won in the culture. If we think that the battle will be won ultimately in Washington, we've already been defeated because that's not where the battle is waged in the first place. According to Ephesians 6, this is our battle. I'll read it again, verses 11 and 12. Our battle is against the schemes of the devil, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So as I close out this point, I wanna wanna acknowledge what are the schemes of the devil? If that's our battle, if we're fighting against the schemes of the devil, let's know what his schemes are. What are they? 2 Corinthians 4.4, the God of this world, Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Satan's scheme is to keep people blind from seeing and hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's his scheme. And if we are more concerned with how people are living in this world, and if we're more concerned with our opinions about worldly things and culture than we are about seeing people come to know and believe the gospel, then we're not fighting against Satan's schemes. His next scheme that we see very clearly in John 10.10 is the thief, again talking about Satan, comes only to steal and kill and destroy. He will not rest until he has accomplished that. The good news is, ultimately, He is defeated. Ultimately, he will not accomplish his goal. But that's what he's seeking to do. And we are called to fight against his schemes. That's why Paul goes on in our last verse this morning, verse 13. He says, therefore, because we're fighting this battle, because we need to be strong in the Lord, because we need to take our stand and to push back against the forces of evil in our world, therefore, take up the whole armor of God. So that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. What I see Paul saying in this verse, maybe above all, is our last point this morning, that our victory is sure. It's guaranteed. Because if you come up until this point and you're going, man, this sounds really intense. I've got to stand with the strength of the Lord. I've got to stand against the forces of evil. I'm not really sure how this is all going to play out. Paul is very quick to remind us 
that when you put on the armor of God, when you stand in his strength to stand against the forces of evil, you will stand. You will prevail because of the power of Christ in you. It's the armor of God, not the armor of man. Therefore, it will not fail. Paul assures us we'll be able to withstand, we'll be able to stand firm because our strength is from the Lord. And so I love what John Bloom says. Do not underestimate your enemy. We said that earlier. But do not underestimate your spiritual ally either. We will win. Don't underestimate the enemy. Don't underestimate the schemes of the devil, but do not underestimate Jesus Christ and his power and his authority and his victory over the forces of darkness. Yes, evil persists in our world today. And maybe you go, this doesn't make sense. How do we know we're going to win? Because it sure seems like we're losing more and more ground every single day. It doesn't make sense. It seems like our world gets worse by the moment. So how can you say we're going to win? Yes, I know that evil is prevailing currently in this day, but I also know that our promise that we sang about earlier is that there is going to be a day when Jesus Christ returns, when he rids this earth of sin and evil and wickedness and darkness, there will be no more tears, no more death, no more pain. A new heaven and a new earth will come. There is coming a day when our victory will be realized, when, when our victory is sure. And until that day, we stand our ground. Until that day, we hold the line. We continue to stand firm in the strength of the Lord and the power of his might. Let's not forget that we worship Jesus, Peter says, who has gone into heaven and he's at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. It may seem like evil is running rampant right now, but evil is on a very tight leash. Our God is in the heavens. He does as he pleases. He is sovereign. Satan will not overcome him, overwhelm him. He will win. And I hear many Christians and I myself fall into this trap at times, being fearful of what's happening around us. And, and even as a, as a pastor, you start to think, what, what is this going to mean for my family if culture continues to swing further in a direction against the things of this world? Is it going to mean that one day we, we won't be able to have church services as freely as we do now? I don't know. And I, and I, start, to, I start to get anxious in my thoughts about the times around me. And I have to remind myself of these truths, that our victory is sure, that my strength doesn't come from me, that if I put on the armor of God, I will stand. We will stand. Will it cost? Sure it will. Will we lose some things? Absolutely we will. Will will Christianity and living this life of following after Jesus always be easy? Absolutely it will not. It very likely will continue to get more difficult. But Jesus said in Mark chapter 10, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands. There's no one who has given up much for, the, for my sake, Jesus says, and for the sake of the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold. Now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. And that phrase, by the way, those two words, eternal life, I think have been said so much in our church that we, we lose the meaning of what Jesus is saying because we've heard it, eternal life. But it means what I have already talked about this morning. It means that day when we stand before him and for the rest of all of eternity, evil is no more, death is defeated, Satan is defeated, and sin is eradicated from the face of the earth, and we are in 
his presence, enjoying his glory, with the sweetness of our communion with our Savior. Jesus says there's no one who's given up much for my sake and the sake of the gospel who will not receive rewards in this life, but ultimately eternal life. Ultimately, life with him. And so when we, in the strength of Christ, go into this spiritual battle with this, his armor, we cannot lose. And as Rob mentioned last week, we take up the whole armor of God in this battle. As we, what we're going to do throughout the rest of this series is we're going to look at each piece of the armor, and every piece of the armor is important. We have to know the armor of God that we are putting on ourselves as we go into this battle, and so that's what we're going to do. But in the meantime, I wanted us to see these foundational truths that our strength is in the Lord, our battle is spiritual, it's not with flesh and blood, and our victory is sure. Yes, we are at war, but the battle has already been won. We are at war. We are called to stand. We are called to hold the line. We are called to be bold in our proclamation of the gospel, but our victory is guaranteed. So stop fighting on your own because your Savior is with you. Stop fighting the wrong battles. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. Stop fearing the battle. We will win because Jesus has already won. The battle is fierce. And it may cost you and I greatly in this life. But as Paul says in Romans 8, I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. You may experience great pain. As a matter of fact, our world is experiencing great pains as we work towards the day of the return of Jesus Christ and our resurrection with him. Great pains, great trials. In this world, Jesus says you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Nothing will separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so as we close this morning, we're going to sing a song together that I think by now is familiar to those uh, who, have, who have been here. This is your church home. It's a song, Yet Not I, But Christ in Me. This is our anthem. As we look at taking up the armor of God, as we look at standing against the schemes of the devil, what we must Continue to remind ourselves as it's not my strength, it's his. The battle is won in Jesus Christ. Earlier I read from Jude when I started off and I said, I, I feel the burden that Jude did to, to plead with you to contend for the faith. And that's what Jude does in his letter. And then he gets to the very end and he says these words that I want to leave you with as we close out this time together this morning. Jude 24 and 25. Now to him, Jesus Christ, who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. You might see your, your people around you who you think are your brothers and sisters in Christ beginning to fall away. You might see the culture beginning to grow more hostile Toward you, you might not know where all of this is going in the end. When it comes to where we live and, and our culture and our home, you might not know any of that. But what I do know is that he will keep you from stumbling. What I do know is that he has you in his hand and no one is able to pluck you out of his hand. 
What I do know is that he will win the battle. And what I do know is that when we stand in the strength of his might, when we abide in him, we bear much fruit and we stand. Would you bow your heads as we pray and get ready to sing this final song? Ask to bow your heads and close your eyes. I'll do this every week just to have a moment where we reflect just without a distraction for a minute. I have to admit that, and I've shared this many times, I don't think this is a secret. One of my biggest battles these days is to continue to grow fearful and anxious of what's around and, and how things are going in our world and watching the headlines and wondering what's, what's gonna happen? Where's, where's this all headed? And that's why I, I know my own heart needed this series. And I, and I think I'm not alone in that. And I also know that my other tendency, when I'm not fearful, is to think that it's my responsibility to go out there and to, to change the culture and to, to change government or whatever it may be. And I think that's where my battle is fought and it's not. Sure, we may find ourselves at times pushing back against, like I said, godless ideologies and philosophies, but our enemy is Satan. And our message is the gospel. And it will not fail. I know that the church of Jesus Christ will not fail. Not because of us. Not because we've got it all together. Not because we're amazing. But because we are his. And we are in him. And I know that I don't have to be anxious. Because he's with us. And so God, I want to pray right now for every person listening to this right now, whether they're in this room or maybe online. God, I don't know where everybody's at right now, but I know that all of us need to be reminded that our strength is in you. All of us need to be reminded that our battle is spiritual. It's not against flesh and blood. All of us need to be reminded that the victory is sure because we are prone to forget. We're prone to wander. And as we live this Christian life and we see victory in our life and we, we, we begin to grow closer to you, what we know is that it's not us, it's not our strength, it's Christ in us, the hope of glory drawing us closer to yourself. So may we be reminded of that as we sing this final song this morning. That as we stand, as we're bold for the sake of the gospel, it's not us, it's Christ in us. Thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. I pray that you would continue to speak to us even as we sing.